When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. On the Coyote Sports Network, from Learfield IMG College, this is the Cast, the official podcast of the University of South Dakota Athletics, taking you inside the stories of Coyote athletes, coaches, administrators, and more. Now, here's your host, John Thayer. After a week off, Cast is back, and I am excited for this episode. It is jam-packed full of good stuff. At least I think so, but heck. I'm biased. Before we get into it and uh, get into all the previews, I just want to say I hope you had a great Thanksgiving last week, however you chose to spend it. I know some people were not able to spend it with their family, and uh, some people did spend it with their family, but however you chose to handle it during this uh, odd time, global pandemic that just is you know, continuing, I think, to wear on all of us. Uh, however you chose to spend it, I hope you uh, uh, enjoyed it. And uh, hopefully by now your leftovers are gone. But, uh, you know, if you're someone who likes to keep plucking away uh, long after Thanksgiving, that's fine too. Otherwise, freeze them. Then at some point you can be like, it's my turn to cook tonight. And then you just go to the freezer, pull it out. It's brilliant. Warm it up. People think you spent all day cooking, right? So I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, however you chose to spend it. You know, basketball season's got underway, obviously, and it was it's it's 
man, it's different. Um, I got to tell you, I you know I, I've had the opportunity to to travel to Kansas State for the Coyote Men's Thanksgiving games uh, against Colorado and Drake. Uh, we went to Nebraska. Neither place allowing fans. Saw the uh, the women play. Listened to uh, Carter Carter Woodiel um, do those games, and and obviously you could tell there was no crowd uh, at the Sanford Pentagon for the opening games of women's basketball. So I I think as we and you, you see it on the on TV and whatever all over the country, right? Uh, limited fans or no fans. I think a lot of places are going no fans at the moment uh, because of concerns with the coronavirus and how things are going to continue to uh, unfold. And I, I don't think that anybody has announced no fans for the entire season, but some of these places have announced no fans for the month of December, and then they're going to evaluate. USD has announced that they're allowing season ticket holders and USD students to the games in December. That is Sunday against Lipscomb for the women's basketball team, December 16th against Drake, and then the Coyote men added another home game December 20th against Mount Marty University. So I hope as you go to these games, if you're able to go, and if you're not able to go, we certainly understand that. Like, if you're not able to go, whether it's um, concerns over COVID-19 or anything else, certainly all of that is understandable. And we look forward to a time when the COVID-19 is not an issue anymore and we can have you and everyone back into uh, the building to watch games. But I hope if you are going to games, um, especially starting this Sunday, you know, no matter what it looks like, because things are going to be different, I hope you appreciate the opportunity to be at the basketball games, right? Because... A lot of places around the country are not allowing fans right now. And USD's administration, their COVID task force, everyone involved has spent a lot of time discussing this, trying to figure out what's right, what's not right, and then how they can proceed. And and there's a lot of time that goes into this. And the only way to have fans in the stands is that they put together a plan of social distancing, of limiting fans, and that's how we proceed. So there are going to be challenges. There are going to be disappointments. There's no question. I'm sure fans have seen their that their seats are in a different spot, and maybe you're not happy about that. Maybe you just appreciate that, that you're, you get to go to the game. But understand, probably, I would imagine just about everybody has moved a little bit in the building because they're taking away some seats near the floor. They have to build essentially a bubble to keep fans away from the players and coaches and all of that. And so we're going to learn more about that here in this episode of the podcast. But if you are able to go to games, if you were able to be in attendance, I certainly hope that, that you just appreciate the opportunity. And um, even though there's disappointment that you're not in your normal seats or, or uh, maybe your seats are, are different or a little bit higher, whatever it may be, embrace the opportunity to be at the games and do your best to be the greatest fans uh, that, that, that can be there. Because the team feeds off the energy. And I know for a fact the first few games of the season, it's just felt weird. I've seen games in Manhattan, Kansas, and at Nebraska, and it is just strange. It's strange to have very, very few fans in the stands. Um, Nebraska had zero. 
Kansas State had some family ties in the stands. That was about it. Okay. Um, uh, Nebraska had their, their tables around the floor, at least on the one side, pushed back about 12 feet. So there was space. They, they didn't have the lower bleachers pulled out. So it just looked different. Things are going to look different. But we have basketball. We have live games. We have the opportunity to have fans in the stands. And I think that is unbelievably important. I think that is something that um, we can appreciate from the administration and everything that they are doing. So while home games are limited in the month of December, let's all embrace it. Let's all uh, enjoy it the best we can. And hopefully things are different in January. Maybe things are different in February. They will continue to evaluate the fan situation as we progress through the basketball season. If at any point they feel like they can open it up to more fans, they'll do that. But remember, going into the basketball games in the month of December for sure, there are no single-game tickets available for purchase. So if you don't have season tickets, it, it don't, don't come to the game because they're not selling single-game tickets, Okay. Uh, if you want to get season tickets, maybe that option's still there. Call the ticket office and find out more. Go to GoYotes.com, find out more on tickets, call them, and uh, see what the options are. Coyote Women host Lipscomb on Sunday. We're looking forward to that. First home game. First home game for USD in a long time. Not counting the, the football scrimmage that we had in the fall, right? But first home game that USD has held in a very, very long time. All right, let's get to it. Uh, coming up in the uh, show today, I'm really excited for a lot of what we have because we are going to learn more about the COVID-19 protocols for USD student-athletes as we discuss that with the uh, Associate Athletic Director for Sports Medicine, Bruce Fishback, joins us. We'll talk to him about um, testing procedures, what type of tests, the timing of tests, how all of that uh, goes, and so we're going to learn a lot about the uh, protocols that USD has in place in, uh, you know, with guidance from the NCAA and the Summit League and all of that stuff. So that's coming up in the show. We're also going to chat with Liv Corn Gable, women's basketball player for USD, who's coming off a, a tremendous start to the season. She was named to the Bad Boy Mowers Classic All-Tournament team after a great start. Yeah, the Coyote women did not win. Um, and, and they would love to win those games. But Liv Corn Gable came out uh, in her first starts, um, had a tremendous effort. So we have a conversation with Liv coming up in the show as well. But we start it the way we always do, and we start with the athletic director at the University of South Dakota, David Herbster. David, we finally made it to the season. The men's basketball team had obviously a tough start to the year against good teams. Off to an 0-3 start. The women are 0-2, played a couple of ranked teams very, very closely. So even though it's a tough start to the year, isn't it just great to see the teams back on the floor knowing that through all the uncertainty, we finally made it to the basketball seasons? Oh, it's like finally, you know, we're here. Um you know, and, and, and at the start of both seasons, you know, we still had COVID issues um, on, you know, dealing with that with teams that were in the tournaments or in the places that we were playing. So that's going to be the path that we that we're going to deal with for really the rest of the year, it seems like. But um, 
I, I think the thing that was was really good, and, and with both teams, really, you finally have you know rosters back. And the good thing is, over the last week to week and a half, you know, the um, there hasn't been any isolations or any quarantines. We we we're, we actually have full teams back at practice, and that part's been positive. Uh, you know, thinking about when the men started, I mean. That week, that Monday of Thanksgiving week, we finally had the full team to get there and play. And so a couple of guys, you know, several guys only had a couple of days of practice before they had to go play Colorado. Uh, and then two days later, you're playing Drake. Um, and then, then you go play Nebraska. What I saw during that time is, you know, over that time period, um, I think our our stamina got better. Um, our, our effort and our energy got a little bit better. And a lot of that really came down to just having that consistency in practice and in games and having your legs underneath you. And, you know, the women, the ladies, they had, you know, two top 20 teams they had to play with um, on on Saturday and then again on Monday. Of course, we know Oklahoma had to, you know, pulled out of the tournament. And so, uh, but again, that energy, that fire, this that team's going to be good. And, you know, like I, I said it in a tweet, you know, the shots are going to fall. The passes are going to connect. The rebounds are find our hands. But with this energy and this effort, this team is really, really good. Um, and they're, they're going to be two fun teams to watch. But all in all, to finally be watching live basketball again is, you know, think about it. It's been eight months since we've been able to to have competition. You know, live, comp, you know, live games versus outside competition. Uh, so you know, in our world, it's it was it's Christmas come early. Yeah, no doubt. It's been good to see him back on the floor, and we'll continue to see him continue to develop throughout the course of the year. And fans, some fans will get a chance to see the women's team in action on Sunday, scheduled to host uh, Lipscomb. And I, that's the direction I've been going with all this. I say scheduled to host because we know that uh, there have been a number of games changed throughout the course of the year, but it is scheduled to be a home game on Sunday. We're looking forward to that. USD has announced season ticket holders and students will be allowed into games for the month of December. How much has gone into the attendance decision? Quite a bit. Um, you know, my recommendations to the university's COVID task force and based on our mitigation plan, uh, we made the decision jointly to move forward with this particular plan, uh, especially where the cases are nationally, uh, the spikes that we've seen. Uh, I think you'll find a lot of our season, t- you know, there'll be people that probably, even even though they might have a season ticket, might want to stay at home. You can certainly always watch it online. The great thing is Midco is covering a ton of our games. Um, so that part, I, I do feel like people that want to watch us and see us will, will have that ability to do it. Um, but I would like to see how things go both locally, regionally, and nationally. And, and also where these teams are coming from, right? Um, and, and what that looks like as we start to, ideally, I want to continue to open up um, as the season goes along and to be and to allow uh, single game sales um, in here as well. So, uh, but I feel like it, we felt it was important first. Let's, let's walk before we run um, and let's do everything that we can to make sure that these games get better fans and come in and see, and see the games. So that's why, you know, we can limit the actual capacity right now to what we did and then make sure that we could offer it in every available plat- media platform possible. David, is there a, uh, is there a number that, uh, that, that USD is, is allowing, or is this just kind of, uh, we'll continue to evaluate as we go? You know, when we did our initial planning, uh, we looked at a number in the neighborhood. We were trying to keep it to about that 35, 38 percent capacity. Right. So if we did that, you're looking at about 
oh, let's say 2,200 seats, 2,200 people in there. Um, uh, so we're going to be, for these first few games, we're going to be below that. Uh, we, we might hit the 1,000 to 1,200 mark, um, you know, for these first several games. And, and you know what, that's okay. Uh, there are several teams in, our, in the Summit League that are not allowing any fans in games. And we, I, I've seen it in Ashley right now. There's several, there's a lot of schools um, that are not allowing fans. So when the women played up at the Pentagon, no fans in the stands. When the men went down to K-State, you know, the two games they had against Colorado and against um, Drake, there were no fans in the stands. When the men went to go play Nebraska, no fans in the stands. So the fact that we're allowing fans in the stands right now is, um, I think, I think is, is, is an asset. And as we go along, we'll see how we can continue. But I don't see us, I don't see a situation this year where we probably rise above that 2,000 to 2,200 people in the building. Well, you, you mentioned it's it's going to be a privilege to get the opportunity to go to these games and see it live. And obviously, things are different inside the Sanford Coyote Sports Center. There are some rows blocked off and everything else. And with spacing, that means season ticket holders had to have their seats probably adjusted to be able to set up for social distancing. And I'm sure some fans will uh, wish they had their old seats or, or whatever it may be. What's your message to those fans as, as we just try to – get through a season with having fans each and every home game? You know, it, our fans are extremely loyal, extremely passionate. And I realize, you know, when they might've had the same seat for four years, five years, and that's, that's theirs, right. And they've, they've helped build, you know, the energy in the, in the facility uh, for a one year. It is a one year. I, I can't tell you how much we appreciate everybody's patience and will and cooperation and, and, and knowing this is a one year blip uh in where you're moved but you're right think about it because we eliminated all the had to eliminate all the courtside seating and we moved a lot of that into the to the core trust club but then but we can't fill the core trust club so you have seats that are not going to no one's going to be sitting in them and people in the core trust had to get moved and everybody i i would i would i would tell you is getting displaced in one fashion or another and it's it's not comfortable um, it, there's some people that don't certainly don't like it. And frankly, I don't like it either. I mean, I, I you know, is, is to implement this and to organize it and try to do this equitably has been an extreme challenge on our staff, but it's the only way that we can guarantee fans in the stands. The, the alternative to this is to allow nobody in the facility for the entire season. And so, um, while it is not ideal, um, the, the other extreme is, uh, to me, worst case scenario, and that's not allowing anybody in the facility. So patience and, and understanding uh, goes a long way, both on our staff side and our fan side. Yeah, no doubt. And we definitely want fans all year long. We haven't talked in a couple of weeks, so I'm curious. Uh, it's been about, I don't know, three weeks, maybe a month since uh, Coyote Pride was announced, the COVID-19 relief right. initiative. Uh, how's that been going? Really, really well. Really well. Um, I think December is going to be a big month for us. You know, we, we, we've had it going on for about two and a half or three weeks now. Uh, we've probably generated over $50,000. Uh, I, I should say that's what's actually come in. There are still pledges and conversations and, and money that we're still anticipating um, and still continuing to push that. And we will continue to push that through mid-February um, and culminate it on you at the USD Giving Day. So uh, I know from a uh, a social media standpoint, we've been able to engage our students, our, our student athletes, our coaches, uh, administrators, 
uh, into just kind of generating the overall appeal to our to all of our fans. Because uh, I can certainly tell you, you know, a lot of what our budget is built on is ticket revenue and, and and rental of the facility and all these other things that are now just dried up. But at the same time, I realize that, you know, the small business, you know, business owners, you know, their business is, has been hit hard. So um, we certainly understand there's a need everywhere uh, for help and support. Um, but when we have so few, like many business owners, we have so few opportunities to generate revenue. Uh, when those dry up, uh, we are really relying on the generosity of our donors, our alumni, our fans uh, to help us bridge that gap. And so far, they've been really, really responsive. Yeah, great to see the uh, Coyote faithful and everybody come together to continue to help the athletics department and USD during these challenging times. All right, let's get to Ask the AD. And I'm going to warn you, I've got a whole bunch of questions. So this is <laughs> okay. this, this one's going to be fun. And we're going to start so- with... Yeah. So, so should we do this just like fire away? It's like, okay, give me, give me ten seconds to answer a question. Let's go. Let's let's do this rapid fire. You give us all yeah. the information that you can on these, and okay, we'll adjust. So, okay, so <laughs> this is going to be pretty quick. So I'll try not to have to. I'll try not to say anything where you have to bleep me out. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. All right. <laughs> We're going to put that to the challenge right away. What's the most annoying in-game song that is played? Oh, <laughs> um, okay. Uh, you you are not you're not gonna have to bleep me out on this one, but I'm gonna tell you it's the Macarena. <laughs> it's the Macarena. <laughs> Is that because you never were able to learn the dance? Okay, that's only part of it. <laughs> and, and and there's another story behind that that takes me back to my when I the day I was married and my groomsmen did a little dance to the Macarena uh, to the entire. Every, you know, at the at the reception to the everybody at the wedding, and their version of it was probably R-rated. So that's probably the other reason why I don't like the Macarena. <laughs> oh, it's been haunting you ever since. Uh, <laughs> speaking of haunting, this will suggest that uh, you could at one point, and maybe you haunted others at that point in your career. But can you still dunk? Actually, yes, I can. Um, I was with my daughter and I were in here shooting not that long ago, and she dared me. I, I, I'll call it a dare, and I did dunk it. Now, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't really, but I did dunk it. So I'm 51 years old and can still dunk it, so I'm happy about that. Now, I don't know if I could do it again today. I might, it might take me an, an hour to warm up again, but, yes, I can still dunk it. Glad to hear no injuries were uh, to report from that. Um, how many meals of Thanksgiving leftovers are too many? Um, seven days, it's, it's got to be the limit. Now, you can have as many as you want within those seven days, but after seven days of turkey, just just you know, throw it outside and let the dogs get to it. <laughs> is, is there any consideration of a fundraiser for a new huge video replay scoreboard for the Dome? It, it's, on our, it's on my wish list, and it's something that President Gestring and I have talked about. We actually took it out of this portion of the project to make sure we had a couple other things in there, uh, but our our plan is to put a new video board on the south end of the dome. What are the thoughts about giving faculty and staff members that are not season ticket holders a chance to attend home games this season? That will happen, um, and probably more so in the month of January, um, as we're just limiting these first couple games to season ticket holders and to uh, season ticket holders and students only right now. So uh, the president does have a, a, a program where they allow uh, to every faculty or staff member to have two tickets to the event on campus. Uh, we're, we're just kind of, uh, um, we, we will start that after the first of the year. 
Back to our wish list. Are you still planning to build a new competitive aquatic facility? Plans are still in place and, and to expand the wellness center and then move the pool over to the wellness center. Uh, the, the timing and the timeline of, on, on that really was halted during COVID. And so once we can get through this year, uh, we will go back to uh, the, creating a timeline to when, will, when can we start uh, the renovations to the wellness center, which would, which would really be the, moving the pool over there. What's your best guess to the number of fans allowed for conference games in January and February? Best guess right now um, would be total fans. You know, if, if we can open back up to, to that 2,000 and 2,200 number, I think that'd be great. Uh, I'm not confident about it as we start off. Because if you think about it, we start January 2nd and January 3rd um, right now. So I would say 1,500 and I'm, sh- I'm sure an update will be uh, announced here in the next uh, few weeks as we continue to get through the month of December and get closer to the conference uh, conference season. That takes us to a non-conference event in Sioux Falls. We've already seen one event at the Pentagon not have fans. What's the fan situation for the Dakota Showcase next week? I have not heard if they've made a decision uh, or not right now so um as, as i understand it today um that their fans would still be allowed in there uh, but i also know in talking with them is that 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 could change too so um so i mean again that event starts next thursday so anything any decision really to me has to be made but it should be made by the end of this week um i think you, once you start to get into next week it gets really really late if people are making especially if people are making travel plans or, or looking at trying to get a hotel or things like that we need to give them as much time as possible We've seen the volleyball conference schedule. Will volleyball be able to add non-conference matches? You know, the coaches, I know the volleyball coaches had a conference call today uh, to discuss just that. Uh, we tentatively have some opportunities for non-conference play. Of course, our bye week is the first week of the season. So by the time we get to our first conference weekend, everybody else will have already played. And so we are trying to uh, pull together uh, some some matches prior to that so we can at least have some competition prior to now would they be home matches that might be a challenge um but we we have a a tentative agreement with one with the school that's within about two hours to do a home and home over like a friday saturday or saturday sunday um back and forth to to be able to it it would at least give us one home match prior to uh, the start of our conference season all right, this one we're going to switch gears. We're going all the way to football season, so uh, hang tight on this one. Easter Sunday is April 4th, 2021. The Jackrabbits play the Coyotes only six days later. Have you given any thought as to how many eggs the Bunnies will have left to lay on game day? <laughs> well, you know what? I, if it's like those Cadbury eggs, I hope it's a lot. <laughs> Um, those are my favorite. You want to talk about a sugar rush? Give me a Cadbury egg. They can lay those all they want. Um, let's just hope that they haven't eaten too too many of them that they cramp up during the game. All right. Well, <laughs> uh, that can happen certainly with uh, too much Easter candy. No doubt about it. Uh, Absolutely. David, great stuff. Thanks so much for the time. Greatly appreciate it. Keep up the great work. I know it's a challenge with COVID and uh, navigating everything with home events, but we're all looking forward to it and can't wait to see uh, fans in the stands uh, as as early as this weekend and throughout the uh, basketball season as well. Thanks so much for the time. Oh, thanks, John. Appreciate you, man. 
That's David Herbster. He is the athletics director at the University of South Dakota. For the past decade, there's only been one place to watch your favorite coaches, players, and teams. That place is Midco Sports Network, celebrating 10 years of sports this season. We're joined now on the uh, podcast by Liv Gable, a senior guard on the women's basketball team from Rochester, Minnesota. Liv got her first career starts this past weekend, last weekend against uh, South Carolina and uh, Gonzaga. Kyle Wimmett off to an 0-2 start. Liv, though, had a great uh, start to her season, 16 points in one game, 20 points in another. I think she had assists like 6-7, and seven, something like that. Uh, really tremendous player uh, that, sh- that she is, and she's showing that here in her senior season had the chance to catch up with Liv Gable. talk to her about the opening weekend of college basketball Liv it's great to talk to you the season finally has arrived after all of the uncertainty um, leading up to the season opener how good did it feel to get on the court and, and play games last weekend it was really exciting I think that's kind of all we've re- all been hoping for the past four or five months is that um, we'd be able to play and um, kind of going against each other for the last four to five months and only playing against um, teammates. I think we were, we were all really excited to take on another team together. And um, it was really exciting to get on the floor and get to play and get those competitive juices flowing. What has this year been like as a student athlete when you want to celebrate successes of teammates, but you also have to keep your distance for fear of contact tracing and spread of the virus? It, it has been difficult, I would say, especially, you know, within practice. Um, you want to, you know, be as close with your teammates as possible and celebrate those successes. Um, and so we do, we do celebrate each other quickly, but then we're, we're also quickly reminded by our coaches to space out um, when Clay, when we haven't, when we're not in the midst of, a drill or a scrimmage and so I feel like we found different ways whether it's um, maybe not high-fiving as much or having as much physical celebration um, but being more creative and um, more communicative about you know our how we how we celebrate each other and how we uh, communicate to each other that you know we're proud of each other and so it's been different but I think it's it's opened up a new door of communication for us. No fans were allowed to attend uh, your first couple of games in the uh, Sanford Pentagon. How weird was that, trying to get hyped up for a game and get into that kind of game mode without fans in the stands? I, I do think um, we, missed, we missed the fans um, during some lulls in our play, um, but I have so much faith in our team. We... We are, have constantly in my past four years here been the loudest bench that I've ever gotten to be a part of, I've, that I've seen before. Um, and so I never really thought that our energy would be a big issue without fans, um, just because we have so many loud people and we're always communicating to each other. And I think a lot of our defensive success against Gonzaga this weekend happened because of our bench, because everyone on our team um, had scouted them and had watched the film and had had prepared and so those bench players um, really helped us out um, on the defensive end when uh, they were uh, calling out plays or getting into a formation and so I think our our team in general um, and our bench 
uh, really gets after it no matter the circumstances. And I think that was that really showed this weekend. And, Lee, you've you've been on that side of it where you've been one of those bench players trying to produce the energy for those players playing on the court, and now you're spending more time on the court, which I know you appreciate, but what does it take to get the rest of the team who's not in to buy into that role of being that energy source for the players on the floor? Uh, I think it's mostly... I think it just starts at practice. It starts with, you know, our program and, um, you know, what what kind of team we want to be um, and our expectations for each other. And we have um, the expectation that, you know, regardless of your role, your role is important. Every role is special. Every role is important. Um, and so just validating each other and acknowledging each and everyone's strength um, and role, I think, is the, is the biggest um, – the biggest teller of helping the people to buy into the experience and to giving that energy. Um, and so I think that really starts with our coaches and our program and, you know, what they expect from us. Yeah, certainly the culture that they have uh, developed at USD, no doubt about it. You've been a role player in your career, but worked yourself into the starting lineup uh, the last weekend in those first two games of the season. What did that mean to you to be announced as a starter? Uh, it was pretty, it was cool to kind of see my progression throughout the years. You know, I came in from high school being a pass first player. I played with a, a really good post and good shooters in high school. And so I was always looking to set other people up. And that was something I, I lacked coming into um, college. And at this level, um, you know, five players on the court need to be able to attack and score. Um, and I lacked that. And so I played that role play. Um, and I was a great screener, set other people up for shots. Um, and so that, I think, helped me learn a lot about the movement in our offense and um, movement defensively. Uh, and so it was it was kind of a full circle moment to kind of see my progression and, you know, the work that's been put in to kind of have that attack mindset and have those attacking skills. So pretty special moment. And you played well enough. Obviously, you earned a spot on that all-tournament team. 16.6 rebounds, 7 assists against South Carolina. 20 points, 2 rebounds, and 6 assists against Gonzaga. I, I know it was tough with a couple of close losses, but that had to be special for you to not only get in there as a starter, but make an impact right away in, in your first career starts. Of course, yeah. And I think uh, we we came up a little shy in both of those games, but I think it made all of us very excited to um, see what we can do um, moving forward. And I think we all kind of felt a, a good sense of togetherness within those games. Um, you know, we hadn't, we'd only been scrimmaging against each other without any competition, but I think um, we all played well together. Uh, and that's something that I am really excited for, for the rest of the season to kind of have that really good team chemistry um, and, you know, I, I think the, the disappointment or the, the things that kind of showed that we need to work on will progress and, uh, it'll be a really, really fun season to see what we can accomplish. Liv, I was fortunate to uh, travel with your team for for much of your career. I've seen some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that maybe fans and others don't understand all the work that goes in 
outside of practice, outside of shoot-arounds, and you've always been one of those players to try to squeeze in extra shots, whether it's been after shoot-arounds or after practices. What has been your motivation to get the extra work in and continue developing, and as you already talked about, progress throughout the course of your career? Uh, I think for me, um, it's seeing it was seeing the older girls put so much time in um, when I was a underclassman, you know, you had Kira Duffy and Allison Arnold, who as seniors were in the gym every day. And I think um, their kind of mindset of wanting to have no regrets um, when they left USD kind of had an impact on me. And it's what motivates me is that I want to, you know, get out as much of this opportunity as I can. Um, and then obviously, you know, playing for the people who, who helped me get here, my family, my past coaches, I think that's always motivating, um, especially in times of slumps. I think it's, it's easy to avoid the game, to avoid, you know, missing shots. Um, but I think just putting it all into perspective and, you know, staying the course and enjoying the journey, no matter, you know, what's going on or what your role is, um, is really important is what kind of gets me back in the gym. You've spent a lot of time in the weight room as well. And last season, I believe it was, you were the lifter of the year. Have yes. you have you always been a, a weight room person or is that something that developed when you got to college and, and this level of basketball? Um, I would say kind of during my during my or my junior year of high school, I tore my ACL. So when I was rehabbing from that um, I kind of gained some more knowledge about just strength in general. Um, and so that kind of sparked my interest. Um, but I think I credit that to that, my my enjoyment of the weight room to, you know, Jevin at my freshman year. And then, of course, Caleb and Cleet now. I think they make it a really positive environment and an environment um, where it motivates you and um, makes you want to, work harder because you know it will translate to the basketball court um and so I think it was the weight room was kind of an escape from basketball for me for a little while um it was just something else that I was I was good at and I could put my effort into um and so it's it's a place where I think a lot of athletes don't appreciate how it can help you on the court um and so I really appreciate you know, Caleb and Cleet informing us about, you know, the reason we're doing certain lifts or certain movements. And I help, I think it helps all of our teammates buy into the process because um, a lot of, a lot of our off season work is spent there and um, it shows during the season. Yeah, and you don't only spend time uh, lifting in the weight room. You've also uh, been doing some work interning with Cleet and Caleb in the weight room is being a strength coach something that interests you, or what do you hope to do with the experience that you've gained from them? I Well, this past fall, I applied to physical therapy programs, um, so I'm planning on going into physical therapy, um, and this was uh, kind of an opportunity just to train my eye a little bit more in human movement. Caleb and I really talked about you know opportunities that I could have to internship um, in Vermilion and he really pressed that I would get a lot of experience just seeing human movement, seeing a lot of it, and um, seeing kind of correct versus incorrect movement. 
Um, and so I think a lot of physical therapy is about strengthening. Um, and so it will give me a good background in that instead um, of maybe just going to observe in a outpatient clinic. Um, I can get my hands a little dirty uh, here in the weight room and uh, practice kind of coaching others and cueing others because I've, I've long been the the player and the athlete. And so being on the other side of the, the coach-player relationship is something I'm new to. And so this opportunity is really helping me um, get comfortable in that position. Yeah, really cool. Always helping to develop for what's next uh, in your future. All right, Liv, you have a home game this week. It's against Lipscomb. It's scheduled for Sunday. Things will be different with the setup, as you already know, but right. there will be fans. We're planning on fans being in attendance. What are you excited about uh, playing a, a home game finally? Uh, I'm excited to just get back on our court. I think we have a really, a really special place here at USD, and I try to remind myself daily how lucky I am to get to play on that floor. Um, I'm, I'm really excited because I know even with, with the lack of, or the, the minimized capacity, I still think the SCSC is going to be bumping. It's going to be allowed, um, uh, cause I have, I have that much faith in our fans and our bench. Um, and so I'm really excited to just feel that energy that the SCSC and the Vermilion community brings. No, we're looking forward to it, Liv. It's been fun to watch the uh, start of the season, and I know those wins will come for your team. So keep up the uh, great work with them and keep developing. We're all looking forward to a, a great season. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, John. Have a good day. That's Liv Gable, a senior women's basketball player from Rochester, Minnesota. Okay, Yotes fans, let's bank some noise. First Dakota National Bank is here to help you reach all your financial goals. Bank some noise with First Dakota at firstdakota.com. Member FDIC. The global pandemic that is COVID-19 has obviously changed our sports world and our regular worlds and all of our personal lives over the last several months. Now, as we work our way back into athletics and we get um, basketball back this uh, this week, this past week, over the course of the last week, we get home games back uh, this weekend for women's basketball. Men will be home here in a couple of weeks. But you look around the country and you see basketball program uh, on pause here or uh, another one shut down over here. Games canceled, some of them on the day of the game. And it starts to make you wonder, what are the protocols that these athletics departments are following? What do they have to go through? What's the testing procedure? What if somebody tests positive? How is all of that handled? And so with so many questions, we tried to dive into that with Assistant AD for Sports and uh, sports Medicine, Bruce Fishback, who essentially is the head of the athletic training department. And, and his group is behind all of the testing and how they go about contact tracing and all of that. So Bruce gave us some time to uh, talk about the protocols and uh, everything in place, the guidance in place for USD and how they handle COVID-19 with student-athletes. Bruce, it's it's great to chat with you. I know it's been obviously a different world and different start to the year for everyone. How has your staff adjusted to the protocols that they have to deal with and everything surrounding COVID-19? Well, like you say, it's, it's been a very trying time. Um, and it's, it's added a lot to our staff because now we do uh, daily check-ins 
So all the athletes, as they come into the building, have their temperature checked. They've, they've filled out a questionnaire in regards to symptoms for COVID. So, so we check that list and then they're allowed to come in and, and begin their athletic stuff. Um, obviously it's hard now because it's, we don't want to just sit in a gym and watch practice as it creates, you know, more exposure time for our staff. Um, so it's been a crazy world through all this. With uh, the testing and trying to understand protocols and all of that stuff, what kind of training went in for the athletic training staff before the year started as they continued to uh, educate themselves and understand the situation? Well, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but we've always had a lot of training in like bloodborne pathogens and, and how to handle viral type situations. I mean, COVID's not the first thing we've ever had to deal with. You know, there's always been mono and simply colds and flus and MRSAs and all those kinds of things. So we've had a background in it. And now, like the rest of the world, we're learning about the new virus, COVID. So somewhat of an adjustment, but in reality, we were prepared. When you look at at testing... We've been told that that athletes and coaches, the tier one personnel, as they're called, are being tested three times per week. Is that a set schedule or does it change based on uh, game schedules and how that lines up for teams? Well, it, it's going to it's going to change. And what happens is, and you're correct, we we test our, our athletes um, in our what we consider high risk sports. So the two basketballs, for example, um, we test them three times a week. Now, we know that, say, when we went to the Pentagon tournament, that some testing would be done there, so that could count as part of our three times a week. And then I do try to adjust the testing schedule so that if our teams are going to have a day off, I don't make them come back into us to get their COVID test. We try to make sure that that we're testing on dates where, where they're already going to be here, if that makes sense to you. Sure. What type of, of tests are we dealing with here? Are these the, the nasal swab or are these like saliva testing? What kind of tests get done for these athletes? Well, we're using right now, we're using an antigen test that is a nasal swab. And the nice thing about that is it's a nasal swab. So we go up into the nose. We don't have to go back and, and tickle the backside of your brain. Um, so it's a lot less invasive. And it's because it's an antigen test, they want that done three times a week. And that is a requirement through our Summit League. Bruce, when we talk about the testing and all of that, how, how was that handled with getting the results quickly and uh, being able to uh, do those tests on site at USD? Well, probably the, the biggest thing that we've done is we made application to the Department of Health and became certified to be able to do our own COVID testing. So we can do all of our surveillance testing for the athletic department right there in the training room, in the, uh, the arena. Lessens the, the strain on, on the healthcare system. We're going to be doing quite possibly up to 600 tests per week when we start looking at all of our sports going in February, March, and April. It's going to make it a lot easier for our athletes. They won't have to go anywhere else. It makes it easy for us because we will um, have results fairly fairly instantaneously. 
we have uh, we're using a antigen test that once we've taken the sample takes us 16 minutes and 11 seconds to run the test. It's going to go real smooth for us, I believe. So when you you look at uh, the test and, and the situation, do do tests have to be administered in a certain time frame before a game is played? Uh, well. Yes, we want to make sure that we've done a test at least 48 hours before a game um, within that window. We, uh, we have to look at our travel you know, situation and can I get it in here? And in reality, when we look, like it'll get more confusing as we get to where we're doing the back-to-back days because I need to make sure that, that our testing is covering that second game, not only the first game. I got a big whiteboard in the training room now where I have it all mapped out where here's where we have to test on this day and that day. So yes. it's quite a jigsaw puzzle anymore. Yes, certainly interesting. Bruce Fishback is our guest. He's the assistant AD for sports medicine at the University of South Dakota. That, that brings me to the next thought because obviously uh, this weekend will be the first home event that USD has had. Does mm-hmm. USD have to test the opposing team either on game day or when they arrive, or is all that testing for them done prior to their arrival? We have what's called an attestation form that they will fill out for us that tells us what their test, testing protocol has been. And we rely on them to take care of their people in regards to testing. We, we fill out that same form for the places that we've gone. So, for example, when the men's basketball team was in Nebraska, we filled out the, the Big Ten attestation form saying that these are our protocols, this is what we've done. And then when we get there, there's also a second form that's filled out that shows we've taken their temperature, we've done all the, the questionnaires so that we are essentially safe to enter their building. Yeah. When, when someone uh, outside of athletics, let's, uh, we'll call them the regular Joe, uh, test positive for COVID, there's a 90-day window that it's suggested they should not be tested because of an increased chance of false positive. And uh, also in that window, can't be considered close contact for quarantine purposes. Is that the same for student-athletes, or does the NCAA have a uh, different window, if you will? Well, that's a great question because – up until last week, it has been that 90-day window. And we actually have had it extended now by the NCAA to a 150 days. We uh, Again, because COVID is so new, let's face it, we've been dealing with it, what, 11 months now? So we, we learn more virtually day by day. And because of the knowledge that's come out, and quite frankly, a lot of that knowledge is coming from the NCAA because – there's no group more tested right now than student athletes. So the CDC has actually been able to use our data and be able to extend that from a 90 day window to a 150 when it comes to testing. Okay. Now, if, if someone is considered a close contact, they're good within their 90 day window, but once that 90 day window, once we get past that, they would have to quarantine past the 90 days. Okay. Um, same thing was, you know, if you're within the 90 day window, we don't feel the need to test you if you feel ill, but after the 90 days, if you come back and have all those signs and symptoms, 
we would probably test you again for COVID because we, there are examples of people who have had a recurrence of COVID. So, so let me uh, let me make sure I understand this, Bruce. So, uh, there's there's a 90 day window, uh, and after that 90 days is up, you can be considered a close contact, and you must quarantine uh, yep. if you are a close contact. If you are past that 90 day window and you have symptoms, you can be or you should be tested for uh, COVID again. But or will be tested, but asymptomatic people would not have to be tested for 150 days following their positive test. Is that right? Right. Once one of our student athletes tests positive, and for the most part, they've been asymptomatic. Um, They've had very, very small symptoms, you know. Um, We don't have to test them again for, for, for 150 days. So that will hopefully take us through a major part of the seasons for those kids. Yeah, no doubt. They'll get through the season uh, if they do uh, fall in that window. So what's the process, Bruce, if there is a, when there is a positive test, because it's inevitable uh, that you're going to have to deal with that. Does it have to be confirmed by a second test or is one positive enough to send the student athlete into isolation and begin the contact tracing protocols? It depends a lot on the test. We're using what we call the antigen test. Um, so if, if we have someone test positive with our antigen test, we can confirm that with what's considered a higher level test, the PCR test. Um, I I will say this though, if they're coming in and they, they have all the signs and symptoms and they've tested positive, it's, it's kind of redundant to go ahead and do the other test. Sure. If they, if they, if they're asymptomatic and they test positive, then I would probably confirm that with the PCR because I don't want to rule somebody out for, for, you know, 10 days now or 14 days, whatever it is to, you need to take them out. Right. Yeah. So we would confirm those positives. So how about when an athlete uh, does test positive and, and uh, they, they start their isolation do you and your staff continue to, to care for them, or do they start seeing a primary care doctor uh, to go through the guidance and what's next? Well, someone who tests positive, first of all, they go into a 10-day isolation period, okay? Um, typically, they are isolating, you know, here in, here in Vermillion. We, we have helped them with food, groceries, medicines, you know, they're getting... Um, we try to stay within day or, or every other day contact with them so that they don't feel like they've been left on an island. And then remember that we have a, a full cadre of team physicians that we also have them in contact with our student athletes to make sure that they're doing well. At the end of their 10 days, um, they will have at the bare minimum, a, a Zoom call with one of our team docs to go through their signs and symptoms, how they're doing, and then we'll determine do they need to have a follow-up visit with our team doc and an in-person visit, or have we, we found something that maybe we need to send them further on to a specialist? You know, there are a lot of, a lot of heart-lung issues that have come about. Fortunately, we've avoided those here at USD, but when you read the literature, it's out there. So we want to make sure that we've 
dotted our I's and crossed our T's for all of our kids. You know, that's amazing, uh, fascinating when you talk about um, working with the student-athletes to make sure they have groceries and other things because that's probably something that a lot of people don't think about uh, when somebody's in isolation, but that's very difficult on these student-athletes if they have to be um, isolated uh, and can't uh, can't go out to their normal routines and and things like that. So a very uh, interesting uh, perspective or thought there. you know, we've seen this differently, handled differently around the country. Um, is there a standard set for the number of players or staff members who test positive that would shut down a program, or how do we determine when activities would need to be paused? Um, that has been a question all across the NCAA landscape, and you're correct with that. It varies by conference. We have looked at it as the Summit League. And I'm trying to recollect the numbers in my head, but essentially it's, it's up to the medical staffs and the coaching staffs to get together. And, and do you have the appropriate number of people to be able to play a game um, in volleyball? As an example, I believe they want to make sure you have a coach you, know, you got to have a coach. And then I believe the minimum was, seven players but you have to make sure you have a setter you know in football I, I can't believe what the nfl did to the denver broncos you know um make them play without a quarterback um so it, again it varies by conference what's the, the big 10 doing if you have less than 53 scholarship players you can't play the game have you have you seen any of those numbers john I've seen a few here and there. It just seems like, uh, you know, there, there's just differences, so many differences around the country. And I think fans are trying to wrap their brain around what what requires a shutdown and all of that. And I think everybody's, like you said earlier, we're learning more and more about that day by day. Oh, absolutely. And I, I know we were having a discussion um, within the Summit League the, the athletic trainers and, and someone said like for volleyball, they said, well, if you have two positives, they probably shouldn't play the game because they've lost those players. And I made the comment that nobody felt sorry for the university of South Dakota when we had three girls with knee injuries and they couldn't play. You know, they still wanted to play us. So it, it, it again, it changes by, by conference, by sport. It, it'll be an interesting decision as things come down what have been the recommendations whether it's uh, from above uh, you somewhere or you to the coaches on how to handle road trips or how to handle practices in a, in a sense to try to avoid contact tracing should a positive test pop up oh i tell you it it's a very intricate thing and let's let's use the sport of basketball as an example um if we have someone on our squad or in our, like you mentioned, the tier one, anybody that's basically on the court, if we have someone that tests positive, we suspend activities until we can do the contact tracing. And uh, the members of my staff have gone through the contact tracing course. We get with the coaches. We actually pull out practice film, and then we go through that film frame by frame to see who's been within six feet of each other and for how long 
okay? Because it's, if you've been within six feet of someone for 15 minutes, and that's a combined 15 minutes for, for in a 24 hour period. So we'll add it all up. And at, at the end of the day, then we go and we look and if you've been, if player A has been by player B for longer than 15 minutes, then B has to go into quarantine if A was the positive. So it's it's a long and involved process, but our coaches, our training staff, our administrators have all been on board, and we're working through it. So so you just said that that is a 24-hour period combined 15 minutes. That could mean two practices. So contact tracing, I mean, close contacts, that can happen easily over the course of, of two separate practices, right, in a 24-hour period? Well, yep, and, and I'll tell you, it's it's uh, it, it's also eye-opening when you sit in those film sessions, and in reality, when you're looking to combine that, find that 15 minutes, it's amazing how little contact there is. And the first time we did it, we noticed that most of the the close contact was coming when they weren't on the court. Okay. So, so it's the, it's the, it's the people who are at the end line waiting to go in and, and be one of the active members. So we've simply, we've, we put X's on the floor saying, you know, you stand on an X. So we know that you're six feet apart. You know, people will notice that when they come to our games that our benches, all the chairs are six feet apart. I mean, we're doing everything we can to lessen the potential contact, close contact time, so that the athletes and our coaches can be safe and can keep playing. So what will a, what will a home game uh, in your mind look like when you, you got the benches? I would imagine if they're six feet apart, they're going to wrap around the baseline a little bit uh, for team benches. And then what else, do, uh, what else are the protocols for a home game that will keep fans from getting uh, anywhere near the playing surface? Well, we've, we've moved, we've moved our, our fans. So there's basically a 12 foot barrier around the court. So, the fans will be behind that 12 foot line. Like I say, our seats are all six feet apart for our, for our teams, the visiting team. Um, you know, you used to see, you know, we'll have stacks of towels because the towel will be a one use thing. Um, every athlete will have their own water bottle. Um, we've converted our, our water coolers to where they are contactless, you know, um, we're we're cleaning between double headers we're cleaning stools like crazy i mean it's just amazing the amount of cleaning that goes on now we've we've taken and removed a lot of john don't take this wrong we do believe you're essential to our program <laughs> but we've removed non-essential people from the game floor yep you know we we've taken and, and put in with the broadcast folk up up near press row so you're not going to have that seat right there on, right there next to coach, you know, where you usually are. Um, we've eliminated some of the, the, our stat keepers that were there on that uh, scores table. We've, we've created a second scores table so that again, we could have six feet apart. Um, our fans, you know, usually they're all kind of collected together. They're going to be spread out throughout the arena the ones that we allow in. So it's going to be a very different feel. Yeah. It's amazing what goes into that. And I know 
uh, for people like me and, and the stat keepers and all those who like to be uh, right in the, the thick of it, I guarantee you none of us want to be the reason for paused activities or anything like that. So <laughs> we'll adjust it. Last thing for you, Bruce, I really appreciate the uh, conversation, but you know, everybody's learning this not only for athletics, but just for themselves on the whole COVID process and everything like that. What, what message would you uh, send to, to fans as they continue to try to find ways to come to games and just try to keep themselves safe in, in this COVID world to continue um, doing things with their families and, and their jobs and, and everything of that nature? You know, and it's, in, re, in reality, it's a simple message. We want, we want everyone to be safe, and we know that the easiest way to have everybody stay safe is to, to wear your mask to try to keep that six foot distance away from people. And, and the other thing is to, to wash your hands. And, and if we can do all of those things, I think we can, we can whip this thing. Um, I know everyone has different views on, on, on mask wearing and, and can we be close contacts, but, but the science is showing us that if we, if we do those three things, masks, distance, and wash our hands, that we can, we can get rid of this virus. Well, let's do it. Let's get everybody on board. Let's get rid of this darn thing so we can go back to all the uh, all the normal stuff. Bruce, this is uh, this has been great, uh, fascinating conversation. I really appreciate uh, your time and uh, your expertise on it as we continue to to learn how the virus is affecting uh, college athletics and and our worlds as we know it. Well, I appreciate that, John. And hey, let's uh, let's find a time to, to talk again, and we don't have to have a global pandemic to get together. That sounds good. <laughs> that sounds good. All right. Thanks so much, Bruce. All right, my friend. Bye now. That's Bruce Fishback. He is the assistant AD for sports medicine. And I hope with that conversation, you, some of your questions, many of them have been uh, answered. And it certainly helped me understand a lot more as we you know, progress through here uh, the, the athletic season. We're starting with basketball right now, but it's going to work into um, volleyball and football and, and everything else. And imagine, you know, he said in there, uh, they're going to administer uh, somewhere around potentially up to around 600 tests in a week when we get all of these sports going uh, in the spring. It's going to be uh, amazing and, and certainly um, appreciate the athletic training staff that is uh, really behind the scenes. Um, uh, but they do a tremendous job. And it's not just with COVID. They do a tremendous job of caring for the athletes and uh, understanding their needs and, and their well-being. And it's just a uh, it's a fantastic group they put together at USD. So uh, definitely uh, appreciate them. That is going to wrap things up for us uh, this week on Yotecast. I hope that uh, you know we can continue to navigate through this global pandemic. I know it has been a challenge for many, so uh, we, we've been saying this for months, but hang in there and uh, let's continue to fight. Uh, fight as much as we can and uh, get through it. Everything that we can possibly get through because we all uh, very much um, we all very much need it. And uh, again, it's been it's been a challenge, uh, but it, it that's that's the uh, that's the way it is, and and uh, we just got to fight through it. Let's take a look at the upcoming schedule in Coyote Athletics as we take a look at the composite schedule. Track and field is at South Dakota State a dual meet that is uh, for Saturday. Saturday night, the USD men's basketball team on the road at Kansas City. That is a non-conference game against the Summit League newcomer, but a game that does not count for conference standings. 
That's Saturday night. Then on Sunday, the Coyote women's basketball team is back home for the first time. They host Lipscomb University. And then coming up next week, uh, the Coyote women will be on the road at Wichita State on uh, Thursday of next week. And the Coyote men will play a three-day event in Sioux Falls at the uh, Sanford Pentagon. It's the Dakota Showcase. Coyote men next Thursday will take on North Dakota on Friday, North Dakota State, and on Saturday night, uh, South Dakota State. So it'll be great, uh, great opportunity to get a look at those teams. Obviously, those will count as non-conference games, but uh, tremendous opportunity to get the four Dakota schools, Division One Dakota schools together at the Sanford Pentagon and have the uh, event. So that's all coming up here over the next week in Coyote Athletics. If you have any thoughts or comments on our uh, podcast or maybe ideas for future conversations that we should have, feel free to email yotecast at usd.edu. I'm John Thayer. Thanks so much for hanging out. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this. And if you haven't already, download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Also, give us a rating if you uh, don't mind as well. Hope everyone continues to stay safe and uh, battle through the global pandemic. Enjoy the first home game of the year on Sunday when the women play Lipscomb. Can't wait to uh, have the men back at home as well, and and we continue to get through all of this. But enjoy every moment that we get because, uh, obviously, we uh, know from last spring it can be taken away at uh, any moment. I'm John Thayer. Thanks so much for your time. Have a great weekend. Stay safe and go Yotes. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.